From the capital city, I'm Kevin Allen. Governor Mike Dunleavy has announced that the electronic distribution of the 2022 Permanent Fund Dividend will begin September 20th, about a month ahead of the usual payout in early October. On Tuesday, September 20th, when we will be distributing the PFT check to all eligible Alaskans, it'll be mailed to you or it'll be put into your account. Uh, we're doing this early this year so that people could take advantage of getting the PFT early, take care of any expenses that they've incurred as a result of the high inflationary period we've been dealing with. So again, the PFD will be distributed this year on Tuesday, September 20th, as opposed to October, which it usually is. This will help all Alaskans take advantage of this check early to deal with some of the high cost and the high prices of goods and services that you, Alaskans, are dealing with. It will be a single payment to all eligible Alaskans with applications that have been approved by September 9th and who selected direct deposit on their application. Those that filed a paper application or requested a paper check will be distributed starting the week of October 3rd. Ironman Alaska is full steam ahead for August 7th in the capital city. Travel Juno's Ben Rubenstein spoke about details last week in a question and answer session. We are expecting people to be in town from August 1st to about the 10th. As partners, you probably have heard quite a bit about the Ironman Expo, and that is going to be located at Thunder Mountain High School at various hours between August 4th, 5th, and 6th. Rubenstein says the event will be as large as a convention. One thing that I want everyone to understand is, you know, why we brought it here. Um, And that kind of goes back to Travel Juno's mission statement of, promoting independent tourism here in town. Um, Ironman Alaska is bringing a convention amount of people to Juneau, uh, and they're coming here under the banner of an internationally recognized brand. Colleen McDonald is the race director for Ironman Alaska. A lot of our athletes will be coming into town on Monday of race week. Um, with it being the following Sunday, a lot of people being those type A athletes, and especially in a market like this, um, a lot of the athletes have not been to Juno, so a lot will be extending their time before the race as well as after the race to get to know everyone around and get to see everything around town. McDonald says kids will have a chance to take part as well. The Friday before the Ironman race will be the kickoff. Friday, we also will be doing an opening ceremony. Uh, We have a welcome ceremony for all of our athletes, all their families, and that will be down at Pradovich Plaza uh, at 7 a.m. We'll have speakers, we'll have videos, we'll have lots of fun, exciting things for those athletes and those families um, at the plaza. So that will go from 7 to 8. Saturday, we will have a fun run. Um, It's an Iron Kids race, which will take place at Thunder Mountain High School at 9 a.m. It's anywhere from little toddlers that will be doing a tiny distance um, all the way up to um, the older kids who will do a mile. The race will take place on the track um, at Thunder Mountain High School. Iron Man officials during a Q&A session. The city and borough of Juneau plans to conduct the 2022 municipal election itself, as opposed to partnering with the municipality of Anchorage, as was done in the last two elections. In 2020 and 21, CBJ conducted the election in partnership with Anchorage, allowing the city to use the municipality's elections center and staffing resources. However, City Manager Rory Watt said on Action Line that with the new election center under construction in Thane, the city will be doing its own election this year. 
We've got the old warehouse uh, down on the rock dump. We call it the Thane Storage Building. And we're renovating that into the vote-by-mail center. So we've got a, a contractor who's um, making some improvements to the building, and we've ordered equipment that will uh, automatically count ballots, and uh, we're making enough space so that the public can observe. Uh, it's a fairly complicated uh process uh but that'll be ready and we're having vote by mail uh election this year and every year watt said that holding the election locally just seemed right we're not shipping ballots by mail you know and and then that feels uncomfortable to people and i think uh you know having a local election that's managed locally just feels right and seems right um to us um, and if somebody wants to observe the election process, they can observe the election process here. Uh, so, you know, I, I see we, while we haven't passed the code to make vote by mail permanent, um, it seems like we're going to be doing that before too long. The candidate filing period opened Friday morning and ends on the 25th. Three seats are open on the city assembly and two for the Board of Education. Incumbent area-wide Assemblymember Carol Treem, District 1 incumbent Greg Smith, and District 2 incumbent Wade Bryson have all announced their intention to run for re-election. School Board incumbents D.D. Sorensen and Emil Mackey confirmed with News of the North their intention to file for re-election. Assemblymember Wade Bryson spoke to his re-election bid. He spoke about the city's move to record property values via a mandatory assessment code. Every once in a while, things happen like this assessment, and the property assessors, and they said, oh, all of Juno is greatly underassessed. Let's correct it. And in the private sector, you have to be more incremental. If every business that said, oh, I'm out of whack, I just do a 50 or 100% increase in my cost that I pass on to my customers, no big deal, we'll put businesses out of business. And when the city did a giant spike in one year of assessments, that wasn't fair to the property owners. It should have been incremental. And also spoke on the move to build a new city hall. When you first hear the price tag of $35 million, people would be like, oh, that's a horrible time. And the, the environment's not real great right now for construction and, and inflation. And the good news is, that we have massive bond capacity because a school that we we're, we're paying off a school in 24 won't be there. So we'll actually be able to bond uh, for this debt and still lower the bond debt service of the property tax. And what I'm saying is your taxes are still, in theory, going to go down, but we'll still have enough capacity to bond for City Hall. Assemblymember Wade Bryson, Juneau Assemblymember Carol Treem spoke to a proposed ordinance on short-term rentals and tax abatement while guests on Action Line. Both items were taken up during the city's most recent finance committee meeting, of which Treem is the chair. As described in the short-term rental ordinance, a rental would be defined as a dwelling unit or portion of a dwelling unit offered for overnight occupancy in exchange for a fee that is available for rent for fewer than 30 consecutive days. Short-term rentals still have to remit sales tax and hotel bed tax, just you know, like a hotel would. 
But the problem is our data is not very granular. So, you know, one operator will submit everything all at once. We don't have good information on how many different units there are, you know, what kind of units they are. Are they whole houses, whole apartments, or just a room in somebody's house that they live in? So this short-term uh, rental registration ordinance that we've started working on would just allow us to collect that data, mm-hmm. which I think we really need to be able to see how it's actually impacting the housing market in Juneau. She also spoke on the proposed expansion to developer tax abatements. The changes would allow abatements to be available throughout Juneau rather than just in the downtown area. We have tax abatement in place for senior housing projects. That's what the Vintage Park project is using, so we already have one project that's going to use that. We also implemented it for downtown. Uh, At that time, I think our focus was kind of just on downtown housing, and now it's this problem has just grown so much, we obviously need to focus throughout the whole borough. So this would expand the area where this is eligible to the whole borough. So if somebody wants to build a new multifamily housing project of at least four units, they could get tax abatement for up to 12 years. And it, it would it would seem at least my assumption would be that there'd be more land out in the valley. So exactly. So oh, okay. I, you know maybe we should have done this borough wide to begin with, um, but we have a chance to fix that mistake now. You know, Assemblymember Carol Treem, with two of its members facing lawsuits for their social media practices, the Alaska Legislature is contemplating new advice and policies to cover its 60 members. On Thursday, the Joint House-Senate Legislative Council unveiled its first draft of a new policy, but individual lawmakers voiced objections to the proposal, and further revisions are expected before a final policy is settled. If a lawmaker runs an official legislative account on social media, the policy recommends that the lawmaker either prohibit all public comments or allow all public comments, regardless of their content. Jessica Geary is the director of the Legislative Affairs Agency. Legislative Council is tasked with um, updating our social media guidelines. We haven't had an updated guideline since um, September of 2011. Lots have changed in the world, the world of um, social media. Um, it was recommended by the um, Select Committee on Legislative Ethics that we update our um, policies specifically pertaining to um, comments. Gary made this recommendation to the council. It's the recommendation that if you do choose to have a personal social media account, that you do not post about legislative matters on that personal account, because that could open that could open that page up to scrutiny and have it considered a, a government account or a limited public forum. So, um, so in other words, you should have one or the other, not blend into both. Thursday's discussion came in response to a series of legal disputes between legislators and people blocked from their social media pages. One of those legislators is Senator Laura Reinbold. I do think um, this is a double-edged sword, uh, this policy, and I think um, restricting freedom of speech or freedom of association when you're um, a citizen-based legislator uh, legislator as well, I think is is an important um, consideration um, as well. More can be read under the news tab of KINYradio.com. Juno Masonic Community's Rainbow Girls hosted a medieval Masters Fair event Saturday. There was combat and arts and discounts if you came in costume. Sorsha Hazelton, a Rainbow Girl, spoke about the event. 
Our big main attraction is the SCA. They are doing intermittent battle. At the back, we have another set of fighters. We have some live action role players that are in town that have a booth of their own. And then they also are doing archery and some sword fighting that people can jump into. And so it's more interactive. The SCA are more professional fighters. We have our cotton candy vendor inside. We have um, Glacier Sweets, which is a breeze dried candy company. We have Juno Party Animals, who's doing face painting and hair braiding and temporary tattoos. We have a jeweler. The maker space was doing some foam sword making. They've run out. And there's a long line for the tarot card reader in the back. Hazelton also shared about the Juno Masonic community's mission. This event is primarily being hosted by the Juno Rainbow Girls, and we're celebrating our 100th year as a worldwide organization. We've been serving Juno since 1932, and we're a youth service organization. We better youth through serving the community. We are trying something new, and we thought this would be super fun. We also have the Eastern Star, who've been mostly manning our entry booth, and they're another service organization who focus on women and children, and right now, I think service dogs is their primary thing. We're all sponsored by the Masonic Lodge. It's been great. And so together with the SCA, we've put on all this. When asked if the medieval fair would return to Juno, Hazelton said this. It, we're hoping it will be, but this is the first year we've done it. And so we're kind of like gauging interest based on how we do today. But yeah, the goal is that it becomes bigger and bigger and annual. Juno Masonic Community's Rainbow Girls, Sorsha Hazelton. Members of Discovery Southeast led their second annual nature walk over the weekend. Richard Karstensen talked about what hikers experienced and about the trail they went on. This will be the second annual joint walk with Discovery Southeast that I'm a staff member of and the Southeast Alaska Land Trust. We started it last year in this neighborhood and walked through a parcel that we own at Discovery that was given to us by the Meyer family and then finished up in this little enclave in between residential parcels that Seal Trust has a conservation easement on. And we thought this year we'd do something even more adventurous. We're going to start out on the, the Kakadiguuhinde Trail and then branch off and head over toward the Backloop Road. It's this 200-acre-plus parcel that Seal Trust owns and has an easement on. Very few people have really walked the whole thing. It's going to be kind of a cool adventure. He also talked about the history of the trail. This is land that extends southward toward the ocean from the terminal moraine of the advance of Akwan City, the Ak People's Glacier, that advanced and crossed what is now the Back Loop Road in the mid-1700s. And when the glacier set there, all the outwash from it meandered through the valley toward the ocean. And this part that we're going to walk through today is kind of a ponded backwater from that period, so it's almost entirely wetland. So everybody's going to wear boots or be willing to get wet feet today. Garstensen talked about the organizations leading the trail walk. Since the late, late 1980s, we have been doing nature education in the schools. Started that program in grades 3 through 5 and have now extended it to K1 and 2. And then we do summer programs to get kids outside all summer long. We're a big part of the community now for the last 30 years. Steve Murley and I, the co-leaders of this walk, have been doing it for that whole time. And how people can get in touch through either Southeast Alaska Land Trust or Discovery Southeast. 
Theater Alaska presented their final performance of Sisters of Whitechapel on Sunday. The program was inspired by narratives of women during the Klondike Gold Rush in Alaska and the Yukon. There were 10 shows over two weekends with about 14 cast members, including the creative team. Kat Ross, the musical director, talked about the playwright Annie Bartholomew's vision. Annie Bartholomew, playwright and the composer. The way the material was created, Annie is also a historian and she was just so fascinated by this aspect of women's history being from where she's from. Looking back, so she went through historical texts and historical narratives. In some cases, as long as it was public use, she went in and took direct narrative and turned that into script. A few of the songs are taken from narratives, the lyrical content, and then some were original lyrical tunes that she created. All the music is absolutely original, the chord progressions and the instrumentation and the arrangements. She actually recorded a full album of all of the songs. In Bartholomew's song, Dead Horse Trail, you can hear the sound of the unique instrument. You can't reach the promised land without wandering in the desert. You have to pay the toll in money and blood. We did things we lived to regret. And Ross concluded by talking about what's coming next for Alaska Theaters Festival. Right before we started Sisters of Whitechapel, a two or three weekend run of Midsummer's Night's Dream, which was a fantastic performance all over the, uh, the valley and Juneau and Douglas. They wrapped that up. We did Sisters of Whitechapel and they still have one more play to get through as part of their summer festival. Play about climate change, climate for a cool planet. Best way to find out the exact specifics of that is to go on theateralaska.org. Never miss a story or a newscast at KINYradio.com. Now you're up to date. For News of the North, this is Kevin Atlin.